It's time for football. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks with myself, Cam Ruslan, and our three amazing pundits. Let's start with Keshika Subarau. Hello, everyone. Great to have you here. And uh, Arvin Sidhu. Hi, everyone. Good to be here as always. Uh, great to have you. And um, a season debut, Sean Mahotra. The second one, but thank you. <laughs> second one? Oh, not with me though, was it? No. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I had a, I had a, an injury. I, I broke my ankle, but I've just rediscovered that Sean has broken his ankle five times, <laughs> thanks to rugby. So, <laughs> kids, don't do it. Um, so this week, it's pretty much Premier League all the way, and a bit of El Clasico at the end. So let's just jump straight in there. It was. A very good match. Liverpool won Man City nil. Not quite as thrilling as perhaps we expected. And Keshika, did we learn anything from this match that perhaps Haaland's not good for the big occasion or something like that? I don't know. I think it might have something to do with midweek and the confidence that Liverpool gained from beating Rangers 7-1. I think that maybe played a lot more here than Haaland not being good enough. Oh, so it's all just confidence because it looked like, uh, Arvin, that uh, Klopp was uh, really trying to G up the crowd there, got himself sent off. He knew what he was doing. He did. Uh, but if you ask himself before the match, if he would have taken a red card and and kind of substituted that for three points, he would have definitely taken the three points. Um, I thought it was a great game. I thought mm. it was utmost technical quality uh, that no one else in the league at this moment in time can serve. I don't think to the likes of Spurs, Chelsea, maybe Arsenal are getting in close on that. But from a technical perspective, I thought it was a fantastic game. Unfortunately, undone by a bit of vile chance from some of the away section in regards to some of the stadium disasters that Liverpool have gone through, Hillsborough and Hazel. We don't we don't need that stuff in the game. But it was a much needed boost for Liverpool. Um, it's the biggest win of the season. After an indifferent start to how the season has panned out so far, I thought it was very interesting that Klopp set up by needing to consolidate at the back and you saw that by Trent not starting and you having James Milner trying to be a bit more of a steady hand on the right-hand side of the defence. Uh, it brings them into the top 10 now, uh, but consistency is, is needed moving forward. We saw the same story when they beat City in the Community Shield and then we saw what happened after that. So I think Klopp will try and avoid that. But I thought defensively they were really good. Joe Gomez, Virgil van Dijk's got a crazy record. I think in Premier League, 69 games with Liverpool. He's never lost in the Premier League at home with Liverpool. What? Serious? Yeah, at home with Liverpool. 69 games now. That's that's a, an incredible stat for Virgil van Dijk. So, Liverpool will take that. Uh, but City, I don't feel they'd be too disheartened with it because they'll come back strong again. So, Sean, uh, uh, Liverpool are going to... Well, they're not going to win the league. They're still 10 points behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it's... Keshik um, is of, of the opinion that they, they've got their, their mojo back. But well, the it, quality of both sides was just astonishing. The goalkeeping, I thought, was spectacular. Yes, uh, I think the biggest the biggest shock for me yesterday was I looked at Manchester City and it didn't look like a Manchester City that I was used to. In the sense that a player that was very quiet for me, aside from Erling Haaland, was Kevin De Bruyne. A person that unlocked so much for them was so quiet yesterday. And I think you got to attribute that to, to every Liverpool player. I think the Liverpool players played out of their skin. I was saying it at the end of the game, the man in the match was Joe Gomez. You know, Joe Gomez and Milner coming in for the likes of Trent and, and Matip. It's no small task. And you've got Erling Haaland to deal with. You've got 
Phil Foden to deal with. You got Silva, everyone to deal with. I think Liverpool played the perfect game. They couldn't have done it any better. You could say Salah could have been less selfish and, you know, laid it off to Jota to score two goals in that game and Liverpool would be looking at a 3-0 win. But Liverpool were head and shoulders better than City, which I don't think you can say that has happened over the last couple of seasons because it's been very close. The way Liverpool played yesterday was perfection. And like Arvin said, it has to be consistency. This cannot be a one-off to at least challenge for the European places again. Mm. Well, uh, we've had a few uh, false dawns. But maybe, who knows, maybe this is an actual beginning of something for Liverpool. Let's move on then to uh, another match that um, promised a lot and kind of delivered. Tottenham Hotspur 2, Everton nil. Keshika, you teach football. Harry Kane's dive. Can you teach that? Or are you just, it's just got to be in you, is it? That's a sign of a great player. Because I think that with a quality dive like that, I think England could win the World Cup. I think that's a highly controversial point because some are, some are saying that it actually went for it. But I think that's not something you actually teach players to do. It's, it's game intelligence in a way. So if that's something that they have the strength of doing, then it's on them. But I, don't, I doubt that we teach players to do that. Uh, I bet she does. Arvin, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I thought that... Um... Everton were, uh, unfortunately, I mean, had a good game plan to go on the counter-attack and held out pretty well, but then it sort of, you know, fell apart when you get a, a, a penalty like that. You do. And this is a common theme that you will see throughout uh, the past weekend where the likes of Everton, Aston Villa, Leeds, when you're up against the bigger squads and the bigger teams, if you don't take your chances, you can come undone. Amadou Ananas served it up best. He said that we had two big chances in the first half. If we score, it's a different game. Um, there was an early chance for Damara Gray on the right. Uh, the counter-attacking player, like you said, from the Toffees kind of gave uh, Spurs a bit of problems. The plan worked for a while because they needed to go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and weather a storm, and they did that. Um, but much more work needs to kind of go into this Everton squad from perspective of finishing the chances that they're given. Um, they, I still don't feel that they've got a recognised striker that can put the ball into the back of the net. Uh, Neil Wapai wouldn't get you that many goals. Tony Calvert-Lewin has had his injury issues. So in the first half, if, if Everton had taken their chances, it could have been quite a different game. But in the second half, when you look at what Conte does, Spurs, best ever start in their Premier League history right now, all masterminded by him. And the XG, the expected goals for Everton in the second half was zero. So that's what Conte does. He just literally shuts the door in your face and there's nothing you can do about it. So for the likes of Everton, Villa, Leeds, when you get the chances, you have to take them because they don't come as often when you play the bigger teams like this. So, But Everton are better than last season. And I and I put that down a lot to their defensive solidity. Conor Cody, James Tarkovsky, for me, gives you very steady hands at the back that will know how to guide the youngsters around them. So I think everything will be fine. Uh, Sean, Spurs, they're level on points with Man City. But I think after watching these two matches, there is a gulf and difference between Spurs and uh, City. They're, they're not going to, I know they won the match, but they're not going to trouble the, the top, are they? I mean, at the start of the season, I didn't think Arsenal would be challenging to the Premier League. There's something about Antonio Conte that I think everyone needs to start taking notice. He knows how to win ugly. It's not a matter of I'm going to outperform you. It's I'm going to outgrind these kind of wins that come. So I don't think come January, come February, once the World Cup is done, Spurs will be up there challenging the likes of City and Arsenal. But right now, they're picking up points where they need to. They're not dropping points in, in these kind of games. You know, A game against Everton is a big game. Just like United played Everton last week. These are games you need to win. 
Yes, they have may have the best defensive record and everything, but you need these kind of wins because come the end of the season, these are the ones you look back on. You don't look back on games against uh, City, against Chelsea, and say, like, oh, man, we should have won that game. If you look at it against Everton, you look at a team that, yes, they've had many clean sheets, but they've not scored many goals either. And you take your advantages in those sense. But there's something I want to point out here that made me laugh a little bit, which I don't think many people noticed. I, I think we're all in agreement that maybe it was never a penalty. But what blew my mind, what blew my mind was uh, Pickford not actually challenging the fact that it wasn't a penalty. And then it hit me. I was like, oh, wait, that's your England captain, isn't it? And I was like, oh, okay, it makes sense now. But I, Ooh, I think, you know, I said... Conspiracy. Yeah, I said at the start of the season, <laughs> I think that Spurs will be challenging for, for a top four spot without a doubt. But whether they challenge the likes of City and now Arsenal at the top, I don't think come January or February we'll be seeing that. Okay. So uh, uh, we learned something perhaps. and uh, But in a moment though, we're going to follow up with, well, Manchester United and have we learned anything? Eh, Keshika? Eh, Sean? So, uh, here on Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. And we're back with Keshika, Sean and Arvin. And it was uh, an interesting display, kind of interesting in a boring kind of way. Manchester United nil, Newcastle United nil. A misfiring United, better than before. Keshika, you're an upbeat kind of girl. You're very positive. I mean, they weren't terrible. They had a lot of chances, but they weren't amazing chances. I think Newcastle played extremely well. Um, but this then also goes back to... Manchester United aren't going to be a really good team overnight. It's part of still going through that process. And yesterday, yeah, finishing was a big problem for us. But what I didn't understand was the decision to take Ronaldo off the pitch to bring Rashford in when Rashford was not really 100% fit to play. Because I thought that Ronaldo was creating chances and he was close to getting a goal somewhere, somehow. But I think subbing him off at that time didn't make any sense. Because a game like this where it's nil-nil draw, and then you take the potential person that's going to actually score out of the pitch. That didn't make much sense. Mm, okay. And uh, Sean, uh, what was your uh, takeaway? Uh, I mean, United, are they improving? Are they, oh, where are they going? What's going on? 110% United's improving. I think you look at the signings you, like Ten Hag's made. They've all had a huge impact. I thought United's best player yesterday was Anthony. Without, I mean, take away his distribution. His crosses were horrendous. But he was the only one trying to get behind Newcastle. Jaden Sancho wasn't doing it enough. And I'd say hindsight is a great thing because I don't think Ronaldo was great in the game. I was crying out for Rashford because I think Rashford's been playing really well this season, creating chances, getting close to goals. I would have preferred him starting over the likes of maybe Sancho or Ronaldo. But that chance at the end, many people would say if it was Ronaldo's hit, it would be at the back of the net, right? The hitter that Rashford had. I look at the whole game and I knew from the first 10 minutes what Newcastle's plan was. It was a low block play on the counter. They didn't have the likes of Maxman. They didn't have the likes of Isak. You knew what they were going to do. They were going to drop 10 people behind the ball. And then whenever they get a set piece, they were going to go for it. That's about it. But I think United weathered this, any attack that Newcastle had. It's just that United couldn't break down that low block. Do I look at it and go, United played terribly in the game? No. But do I think United's crying out for a number nine that can score goals? I would have to say yes, because Martial is not around as much as United fans would want. Ronaldo is not going to give you 20 goals this season. As much as I think every United fan would love to see that happen, I don't think he's going to get you 20 goals this season. And the other thing that I want to point out, and I'm not one to emphasize on such things, but it has to be talked about because it's becoming a common theme in the Premier League. The standard of officiating in the Premier League is absolutely rubbish. How is it that 
you can go to VAR, and I think we're going to touch on this later when we go into the Leeds game, but how can you go to VAR and say that the first one, that Varane trips, I think, Callum Wilson, it's not a penalty. It's an immediate decision. Yeah, it's not a penalty. They, the VAR says no. You look at it, there's all full contact in Callum Wilson. That's a penalty. Fair enough. You go to the second half. Jen Sancho gets both his legs clipped off by Sean Longstaff. Goes to VAR immediately. No penalty. What's the point of VAR then? What is it? I, I don't understand it anymore. And it was becoming a common theme every week in every game now. So something needs to be done. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing we're going to do is we're doing a separate show, purely VAR talk. We've already got Des Corkill signed up. So we'll get you in as well, Sean, then. Uh, uh, Arvin. Newcastle United, you've been you've been um, you've been talking up uh, their transfer policy and what they're doing, but uh, yeah, as Sean was saying it didn't seem like a very ambitious game plan, and I feel like because I played football at the highest level on uh, PlayStation, and it it's like playing generic opposition at medium level, and I don't know, I I don't know what what Newcastle really. Okay, so they are draw specialists that's raked up another draw, and, and this is the beauty of the Premier League this season is you get all these subplots and Sean would have overseen this earlier. Everton was the best defense of the league last week. Now it's Newcastle. So clearly they, they know what they're doing at the back. Fabian Shah, Sven Botman and Kieran Trippier for me, who should be the England right back now with Reese James and, and, and um, Carl Walker not making it. Trent is in and out at Liverpool. So their, their, their approach on the pitch is quite consistent with what you see off the pitch from a transfer policy. They're being very conservative, being very careful. This time last year, all of us on this show, except maybe I, I didn't say it, but a lot of us on the show thought the amount of money coming into Newcastle, yeah, they're going to go get the Kylian Mbappe's of this world, the Haaland's of this world. Everyone did because it's very easy to get excited by fantasy football. But that's not the reality of football. It doesn't work that way. Newcastle is in the northeast side of the country. It's going to take a lot to convince players to go there in the first place. They're not in any European competition. It's going to take them a while to convince players to go there, regardless of how much money you have. And then from a perspective of Eddie Howe, which we've always, always felt is someone who will steady them and bring them up a couple of places. But we know if they really want to be up there and challenging, Eddie Howe is not a big enough name for them. They're going to go and get someone else bigger. It's going to take a couple of years. So I think what Newcastle has done this season, I quite like because I think it's been sensible in a madness world of football. It's been very sensible. They've only lost one game and that's to Liverpool. The way that you you maneuver yourself in this league is you stop losing, you, you turn those draws to wins. So I see them doing really well on and off the pitch. Next season, a couple more signings, get a couple more wins, a couple more big scalps, then we'll be talking about them a little bit more. Unfortunately, Alexander Isak for them is out for a couple of games and they don't know when he's coming back. He was their big signing as a striker perspective. But other than that, I, I like what Newcastle is doing. And I know that the ownership gets a lot of flack and that's fair enough because of the other stuff around them. But I only judge them what they do on the pitch and off the pitch. And I like what I see. Well, uh, Kylian Mbappe does appear to be saying that he wants to leave PSG. So, you know, and I think he said it in a Newcastle accent. So uh, A Geordie accent, yeah. Geordie, Geordie accent. accent. He could be sending messages. <laughs> signaling okay so uh let's move on to a game which i was promised goals leicester city nil crystal palace nil i thought this would be like 10 10 or something and it was nil nil and i was very upset but uh leicester Keshka, they they weren't so bad but were unable to uh, score a goal crystal palace i don't know they didn't really look quite on the boil what what was where, where were the failures there 
I think Leicester City should have won this game, but I think they failed in terms of finishing much like United. They just were bad in front of the goal. And I thought that Harvey Barnes was a consistent threat throughout the match for Leicester. I think he had like five shots on target. Um, Palace was quite poor. But I think Harvey Barnes on the left was a big threat. However, I think that his first touch was kind of something that let him down. Especially at that level, I think first touch is incredibly important. But I thought this game, Leicester should have won. Uh, I'd agree. Sean, Leicester, Brendan Rodgers, it's a terrible season. Yeah, it's it's slowly becoming a no surprise kind of thing. They're sitting in, what, 18th, 19th right now, I think? I am scrolling down, 19th on yeah, five nine, points. 19th, and for a team with that many good players in their team, they should not be there. But there's, there's a saying, right, that you build on from every season that you finished. You bring in players that can improve your team. Leicester just let everyone go. And, and it's understandable that they haven't had the money to bring anyone in. And it's showing. It's showing because, yeah, you have good players like Jamie Vardy, Iheanacho, Madison, Telemans, you can keep going on. But eventually, you're going to get found out. Eventually, people are going to know how to play through you. And right now, I can't call it a string of bad luck anymore. I have to call it as it is. And I just don't think that Leicester have a proper game plan or know how to play through these kind of games. You look at this Palace game. These are one of those games where you go, we need to win one of these games. We need three points. I think Leicester got a big win a couple of weeks back, a 4-0 win against Bournemouth or something. That was a big win for them. But then you look at it now and you're going inconsistency again. And it's time to start worrying because come January, I, th- I think it's the only chance that Brendan Rodgers and co. have a chance to maybe sign players. But it's going to be one of the worst periods to sign players because it's straight after the World Cup. Players' prices are going to skyrocket and there's going to be injuries. But yeah, they're all be in wheelchairs, by the way. Yeah. But it's going to be a crazy time for them. And I think come January, if they're still in the position they are in, Brendan Rodgers is probably going to be gone. And mm. lesser fans should be worried. I, I wouldn't like to say that about a team with that much talent, but just because you have big names doesn't mean you can't go down. Hey, Arvin, I want to take you to uh, a match between, um, remarkably, actually, it's between 9th and 10th, Brentford and Bournemouth. Uh, Did I say that right? Uh, Brighton, sorry. Brentford uh, and Brighton. Brighton are in 7th, 7th. Can you believe this? But they lost 2-0. They've had a change of manager. I'm wondering if there's a bit of a slide. Brentford, they they look so Premier League now. They look so solid. But Brighton, I don't know. Yeah, so with Brentford, we always wondered whether the second season syndrome would come back to them. Obviously, the season is still only one-third away, less than one-third. But the back-to-back wins is so crucial if they look at another season like this to stay up. And maybe, I don't think they'll, they'll improve on last season, but to stay up is an achievement in itself. I thought it was a very classy touch by Brentford as a club before the game to have a video tribute to Enak Mawopu, who's retired from Brighton because of cardiac issues. So I thought that was a very classy move by the club. And the club is, is has been doing really good stuff over the over the last couple of years. Thomas Frank this weekend was four years into his into his job at Brentford FC. And you look at what he's done with Brentford, bringing them up from League One to Championship to the Premier League, consolidating top 10, and now as well in top 10. I, I think he's done great. I, I'm not I, I don't like Thomas Frank as a character, <laughs> but his achievements on the on the pitch, you you cannot you cannot uh, distinguish that. And then you've got Ivan Tony. I mean, mm. penalties out of 20. Gareth Southgate, are you watching? If there's anything mm-hmm. for England, you need someone a penalty taker. That's who you take. You take Ivan Tony. He never misses. Other than that, David Raya, I think, is an incredibly underrated goalkeeper. Brighton actually started well. 
But Brighton had a couple of chances. Danny Welbeck, Moises Caicedo, David Raya kept them in. But then again, like you don't take your chances. The home team comes around. They start taking control. So Roberto De Serbi is still, the jury is out because he's been quite a journeyman with his jobs. And now with Brighton, it'll be very interesting how he takes them up. But Brentford are doing good things. And uh, long may that continue for the fans of the Bees. People always say if you don't take your chances, as if that's like the easy part. Um, oh, it's a problem. It's you like really hard, you know. No, if, you, if you look at this game, the more chances that Brighton had at the beginning, Welbeck's header, and then uh, Leandro Trossard at the end as well, you just completely missed a, a, an absolute sitter. You you don't take your chances, and that's the problem we've had with Brighton. With Graham Potson, you're having it with Roberto De Zerbis. They just don't score enough goals. And then you look at Brentford. Ivan Tony guarantees He's very good. three points. Yeah. He's very good. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, in a moment, though, we'll be coming back to uh, Arvin's opinion because it'll be his team leads uh, against Arsenal here on Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. And we're back with Keshka Subarao, Sean Malhotra and Arvin Sidhu. And yeah, maybe we'll skip Arvin as we talk about Leeds nil, Arsenal 1. Keshika, top of the table, Arsenal not playing brilliantly, but they won. And this is the kind of thing of champions, isn't it? I thought Leeds played brilliantly and they really made it really tough for Arsenal to do anything yesterday. I think Arsenal struggled with trying to keep possession, trying to attack. But end of the day, I think like Arvin said earlier, it's about taking your chances. And I think if you take one too many touches or you're slow to take a shot, then that's what's going to happen. And I think that's what separated them yesterday. Sean, are you you thinking that you're watching um, the champions, Arsenal, because champions get lucky? I wouldn't say get lucky. I'd say what Sir Alex used to say, it's you got to win ugly sometimes. The better team, let's, let's not forget, Leeds were the better team. Without a shadow of the doubt, the second half was all Leeds. And they didn't take their chances. They had a penalty. They didn't score the penalty. I looked at that Leeds game and I went, you know, if I was a Leeds fan, which I never will be, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be too disheartened. Yeah, you'd feel bad about not scoring a penalty, but Leeds played so well. I thought Brendan Aronson was... So it was a joy to watch Sinistera as well. I like watching certain players, but the one chance that Arsenal had, that really big chance that broke them down, is pretty disappointing, I would say. But this is a good win for Arsenal. You don't always have to be the best team in the game, but if you can grind out a win, this is a good you know, indication that they can grind out wins to push for a, a title push. Do I want to say that they're going to be champions? I don't think so yet. You know, I would love to see them play City. I was telling my mate who's an Arsenal fan, I was like, I'll judge Arsenal's title credentials once they play the likes of City and, and, and Liverpool because these are the two teams that we've said like in the last four years are the, the benchmark for the Premier League, right? They've beat Liverpool, which they were better in. Now I want to see them against City. But they are... You got to look at it. They're four points ahead now. They are the favorites, quote unquote. Oh, they're the favorites. Quote unquote. Oh, okay. You heard it here first. Hey, uh, Arvin, uh, Leeds, that player, Rodrigo, beautiful crossfield pass <laughs> to set up the Arsenal goal. Um, unfortunately, he plays for Leeds. But uh, yeah, uh, you must be a little unhappy. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, Mika Ateta came out in the second, at the end of the game and said that that second half was the hardest game he's had in the Premier League this season because Leeds really, really swarmed all over them. The Leeds deserved a goal, but football can be cruel in that sense. Uh, the multiple chances, the intensity, just really in the face of, of Arsenal. But this is what's, this is my only slight concern with Leeds is that you when you play games like this and you don't come out of anything and then you play the other games when you're poor and you don't come out of anything, you ask any Leeds fan before the game against Arsenal, 
Would they have taken a draw? Yeah, definitely. Would they have taken a win? Bonus points, yes. But they've come away with nothing. Now they've got games that are literally games that they need to get points on board. The likes of um, Leicester this coming Friday morning. And then I believe they've got Fulham after that. So these are the games that you you need you need to win. You need to get the points on board. But other than that, I thought it was a really good response from Leeds from last couple of weeks. But every game, there seems to be this one moment where they just throw it all away. Luis Nestor getting a, a red card a couple of weeks ago, really senseless. And then Rodrigo with that crossfield pass that doesn't deserve a pitch uh, any Premier League pitch. It's beautiful, so, though. It's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful pass, yeah. But, <laughs> but that's what you do. You give them that one chance and then Bukaya Saka goes and does what he does. So, yeah, it's not too disheartened today morning to be a Leeds fan, but we need to just start seeing all these efforts translated into points. I believe it will, but it, it needs to come quick sooner than later. Now it's, I think, seven games without a win, so they need to kind of turn that around quickly. I want to point out one thing, though, which I thought was quite impressive in the Leeds game, was in terms of the officiating, the two big VAR calls, one was right. the first penalty and then the second one was the supposed penalty and red card to Gabriel. I felt like that was how it should be done. Yeah. The referee literally walks to the pitch side monitor, takes about 20 seconds to 30 seconds to make up his mind, yeah. looks at it, comes back, makes a decision. I think he did it perfectly. And I don't know why more referees don't just do that. Why do you just listen to a voice in your head going, yeah, it's a, not really a penalty. But, but but Sean gets it right from the perspective of, wow, let's not forget the Leeds game was delayed for 20 minutes because of yes. a power outage. That's so it, not, it doesn't go always smooth. You've always got something or other that happens yeah. around with the refs. Power outage, yeah, that usually happens in the last 10 minutes, isn't it? Yeah, it took a 20, 20 minutes. And then you'll find there's a Malaysian guy up there with a screwdriver, <laughs> in, invariably. But, but yesterday <laughs> had some weird stuff. You have that at Leeds and then in the championship, I think Birmingham and Hull... Again, there's probably some Malaysian fellow <laughs> up to something. Um, okay, uh, because we're going to be very complete, we're going to cover every single match now. We're going to do Wolves 1, Forest 0, Keshika. I can't help watching Forest now and thinking about how it's an entirely new team. They barely know each other's names. And it keeps playing on my mind. And I'm I'm wondering if I'm, I'm um, being influenced by that too much. But they don't seem... They don't. I don't know. They don't, they don't seem very together. They don't. They don't. They don't look right now. Anyways, like a Premier League team. Um, uh, Forest not very good. I think that's the thing that's going to take time because there won't be a cohesive team overnight. They need to develop a playing style. The manager need to impose that on the players that he have. He needs to also figure out the strength and the weaknesses of the team and what playing style would fit to the squad that he has. And I think all of this won't happen overnight. But I do think that it could fall apart very quickly for them because if they can't stay up this season, then the mm. whole start of the new bringing in a whole new squad is going to be completely wasted. And right now, it looks like that's the part they're on. It yeah, it looks like a real potential for absolute financial disaster in the future. Sean, uh, because we're going to be very complete, wolves wolves are not fantastic, but um, I, they did enough. They did they enough. enough. And I mean, yeah. the Jersey Sars penalty save, huge. For a team that is crying out for, for three points, these moments are big. I said it at the start of the show, right? You look back at certain fixtures in the season and go, we needed that win. And Wolves got a big one. With Forrest, when you sign 20-plus players and you expect it to work overnight, it's it's not going to happen. It's not going to. It's the total opposite of Bournemouth, who didn't make any signings. <laughs> Nottingham Forest have made 20 over signings and they're expecting it to work immediately. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's going to take time. 
Yeah, you're in the middle of a Premier League season. It's not quite yeah. the time you want to do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Arvin, you're, you know, Leeds, Leeds are 15th, nine points, not really where they'd want to be, but they're looking at the likes of Wolverhampton Wanderers and 17th and Nottingham Forest right at the foot of the table. Are we looking at two of the worst teams in the Premier League this season, Wolves and Forest? Yeah, the table never lies. Um, Leeds have got one game in hand, so if they win that, they move into closer to the top ten. So it's not it's it's it, they need to take that point. So like I've said, you need to transfer efforts into points. But Nottingham Forest, I I don't get it. I do not get the direction of the club. Like what Sean said, you sign twenty two players, hundred and fifty million, and then at the end of it, you sack your director of football, you sack your sporting director. They've they've let go so many personnel behind the club. And then right at the point where you think Steve Cooper's gonna lose his job, you give him a new contract. And I know if Bob was here, he would be talking about Angelos Marinakas being a very, very out there owner. Yes, investment is there, but when you don't have structure, you don't have direction, you don't have a strategy in place. That's what's concerning for me for Forrest. Um, a club is, is a club of turmoil at in at the back, and he can never help on the pitch as well. On the playing side of players that they got over, I've never been a fan of Serge Aurier. I don't get why you signed Serge Aurier to help you to stay up in the Premier League. Other than that, Czech Kuyate, the best player was Ryan Yates on the day itself. Morgan Gibbs as well, their record signing. I I do not get why Forrest, who have taken so long to come to the Premier League, longer than Leeds, have taken this approach to try and remain because it's going to be really unfortunate if they go down. And all signs point. But they had to. They had to buy players. They yeah, they, yeah, they you, you simply buy, didn't have enough players. Yeah, you, you, they let go a couple of loan players that they had on a couple of which players was, you know, they had out, to do out of contract. Fine, but you're literally looking at twenty two first teamers camp that doesn't work anywhere at no. all. So I I don't get the approach that they've taken. And Steve Cooper, as resourceful as he is, a man that was going to lose his job a couple of weeks ago, is now expected to turn it around. I will not be surprised if Forrest let him go in January after giving him a new contract because that's the volatility of the club right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kashika, I owe you an apology again. At the very beginning of the season, I was saying Fulham have no chance whatsoever. And you were saying they can do it. I have belief. You know, it's a, I am very impressed by Fulham. They're in 11th now. They drew with 10th place Bournemouth, 2-2. And, um, you know, these are two teams which uh, people had marked out for collapse, but they're doing pretty well okay. What? So so it is possible then with belief that you can win. I think you need more than belief. Belief is a starting point, but I think the thing that Fulham has done really well is they've been very steady and consistent in their approach. They're not going out there thinking they're going to do, they just want to take it game. And they're in, and they're slowly getting the results that they need. And I think consistency in football is so important, especially when you're in a league. It's not a few rounds of games and then we're done like a tournament, but it's a proper long season. So I think that's one of the things that Fulham has managed to do really well. But I also think that knowing that there's a big chance of getting relegated, that's the only option that they had. So combining those factors, I think, was one of the reasons that they're able to get up to 11. Yeah. See, another thing that people always say is consistency. Like, that's an easy thing as well. I mean, clearly it's not. It's like really hard. <laughs> Scoring goals is very hard and being consistent is very hard. Hey, uh, very quickly then, uh, Sean, and I know, was gonna, <laughs> what else can it be? Bournemouth. <laughs> <laughs> say something about Bournemouth because every year there are a couple of teams which I kind of forget are even in the league. There's Bournemouth and always Southampton. So I'm um, <laughs> I oh, Bournemouth is still there. Say something. Yeah. Uh, I still think Bournemouth is one of the teams that I think would go down 
come the end of the season. A big part of that is down to the fact that they didn't get enough players willing or, or able to keep them up. Yeah, they're in a good position-ish now, even after uh, the, their, their, their game against uh, the Saints. Come the end of the season, I think they're going to struggle without that depth, right? And it's shown at the start of the season already. They may pick up wins here and there, but I think come the end, come May, they're just not going to have enough in the tank. And that is Bournemouth. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we did quite well there. Uh, we move on. And in a moment, um, we will, well, we'll, we'll finish off the uh, the Premier League and uh, have a quick look at the Classico as well here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And welcome back to part four of Just for Kicks with Keshka, Sean and Arvin. And now we look at, because we're going to be very complete uh, this uh, issue, Aston Villa nil, Chelsea two, Arvin. Um, I don't know. What, uh, let's look at Aston Villa. They they really like Frank Lampard over at Everton, the fans. Whereas Gerard has been sort of failed to sort of uh, please. And um, I discovered that there was a plan with Everton's last match. Why am I comparing these two ex England uh, midfielders? Whereas with Aston Villa, I am struggling now to see what is it that they do. Yeah, the the the, the villain fans are getting more and more frustrated as the weeks go by. They've spent a lot of money. Steven Gerrard has been given a lot of money to spend on that squad, and they, 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 they there are elements of their play which isn't resonating with the amount of investment in that squad. Uh, they started on the front foot on this game, though. I have to say there were a couple of half decent chances, but then. When you have that moment where Tyrone Mings does an absolute madness, if Rodrigo and Tyrone Mings should be together, <laughs> they should go out and talk about the mistakes that they've made this past weekend because Tyrone Mings is hater. And you can understand why Gerard has taken the captaincy off him. Maybe the way he's done it hasn't been the right way as a, as a manager, but he's taken the captaincy off Tyrone Mings because it's just not captain material. Leon Bailey hits, gets the hitter, hits the bar. But other than that, I thought Villa just like Leeds in the second half, and we talked about the other teams earlier as well, the chances that they had, and Kepa in the Chelsea goal, the best goalkeeping performance for me on the weekend was Kepa Arizelabaga, because there were a couple of incredible Superman saves that he was making. So an improved performance surely by Villa, but again, not being clinical enough, and Villa are under pressure. Gerard is under pressure. And on the other side of things, Graham Potter at Chelsea, Right now, undefeated still in his in his Chelsea reign. Fifth win in a row. But he owed a lot on this one to his goalkeeper. Mason Mount was great. Great goals. But his goalkeeper saved it. And now there's that little meme on the net of Graham Potter. He's had a glow up since his mm-hmm. Chelsea, since his Brighton days. He looks looks really nicely cut, nicely shaved and everything. Looks like a little Mr. B- James Bond villain on you, <laughs> you would say. So, you know, over a sense, Chelsea are happy uh, on the gameplay itself, but they owe a lot to Kepa, who has got a lot of flack. He's taken a lot of flack in the last couple of years. So it's nice to see players come back and put these type of performances in. Uh, so, Keshka, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, style over content. And I think, that, <laughs> I think that Graham Potter's styling is important. But Graham Potter's had a very good start at Chelsea. What is Potter ball? In the context of Chelsea, how, how is he getting together these players that Thomas Tuchel, I don't know, kind of lost? I think the difference between Tuchel and and Potter is there was this interview that came out right before he took over Chelsea, where he was talking about him doing masters, I believe, in emotional intelligence. So I think he's the person that's able to go in there and get the buy-in from the players that he have, and he's done that very quickly. So I think that's one of the hardest things to do as a manager or a coach is to get your players to buy into what you want. 
the amount of people that you need to convince to support the the style of play or the ideas that you want to implement or the type of training you want to do and to give 100% to all of those that's not easy and i know people will say that oh yeah they're getting paid the professionals they should be doing everything at 100% but that emotional side is not something that you can control easily him having that um, knowledge and intelligence to do it i think is the difference between him and tuko so he uh, grandpa had a had a masters in what emotional what emotional intelligence uh, and that's in the school of sports management or in i think i think it's a complete separate thing um i've seen in it psychology? in the business under psychology it could go under many different um different sources but i think having that make a lot of difference because you get a buy in from your players if you know how to do that right because i don't think it's an easy task to get 22 players to buy into your ideas and your way of your method your style of play so if he's gone in there and he's able to get them on his side everything becomes so much more easier done and i think that's one of the most difficult thing as a manager to do so if he has that i think that's the advantage he has over to go Yeah, yeah. Uh, emotional intelligence masters. Maybe I should, I should get one of those to work with with uh, Just for Kicks pundits. But <laughs> but I guess you shouldn't say that out loud because then they'll be aware of it. So <laughs> so yes. <laughs> uh, Sean, Chelsea. Well, they're not. They're fourth. Yeah. People are not really talking about Chelsea. Uh, we're t- we've been talking about Arsenal, City, Spurs, even Liverpool, who are way down in eighth. And should people be talking about Chelsea? I think people should, but Graham Potter would prefer people don't because he's. If you've noticed how he's done things so far, he's always done things in the background. But the thing is, when you're at Chelsea, you're always going to be in the foreground, right? One of the biggest clubs in Europe. They're going to need to perform, yada yada yada. But he has changed this team with players that you thought would never be good enough to be playing for Chelsea. The likes of Kepa, the likes of Shaloba, Loftus Cheek. He's making them play well, and I think he would prefer to keep this up. Playing them a certain way, getting the wins they need to get, silent but deadly kind of thing. Let them slowly move it up, right? They're in a good position now in fourth. There, I think three points ahead of United, and we, United and Chelsea have the same amount of games played, but they have the momentum on their side now. A team that looked like they were gonna free fall under Thomas Tuchel now looks like a team that's ready to push on and you know solidify themselves in the European position. I don't think they'll go on to to challenge you know uh, Arsenal or, or City. There's a good chance they could maybe challenge Chelsea, uh, uh, Spurs, but Graham Potter's going to do his work silently, and I think it will bear fruit somehow. Whether it's this season in a cup competition or next season, I think it will bear fruit. Well, uh, Keshka, because we're going to be complete here with the entire uh, match week, Southampton won, West Ham won. I'm going to give this one to you. <laughs> uh, my notes simply say, I have nothing to say about this. <laughs> I don't, I watched this like, I, I don't know what to think. I think Southampton and West Ham they're just one of those teams that they don't really play exciting football. Uh, West Ham was just such a shame because West Ham had so much hope previous season but somewhere along the lines they've just quieted down as well. So I don't personally I don't know many people that would be interested in this fixture. <laughs> so it's so. not just me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's West Ham and Southampton. Um we'll come back to Southampton next time next time they get beaten 7-0 by somebody. Um <laughs> So, uh, Arvin, Arvin, we're going to cross over to you, and you're wearing your Real Madrid shirt, El Clasico, Real Madrid, won quite handily. Uh, what does this all mean? It means that Barcelona have had a quite a fortunate start to the season, but when they come against bigger opposition like they had with Inter in midweek and then with Real, there's still a lot of work to do. Madrid are a well-oiled machine. I, 
Champions League winners last season, La Liga winners. I've never seen a team in watching football as long as I have who has doesn't dominate play, doesn't dominate the, the the pattern of the game as much, doesn't have as much expected goals. But when they do, they make the most of the little that they have. And that is, they are a very, very deadly unit. They're, they're literally a snake in the grass. You, you, you don't know until you step on them and then they literally sting you. Um, they look comfortable against Barcelona. The only moment where I thought Barcelona looked might have come back into it is when they when Ansu Fati came on and did the things a little bit differently in that they got the goal. But then Real just go and do what they did again. Um, and this is a Real that's dominated the classical five wins out of the last six. They're moving ahead of, of Barcelona in the, in the wins ratio as well. Barcelona have done a lot of work this season. I mean, we've looked at the economic levers. You've looked at um, the players that they bought in but it's high high risk, high reward. They're hoping for that. Being knocked out of the Champions League next week, if Inter win against Victoria Pleasant, that's a big issue for them. And then against La Liga, I still think they will run Real very close, but not winning La Liga. And if they just stick to their normal Copa del Rey wins, it's not going to be a good season for Barcelona. But Real are just a well-oiled machine. Uh, there's talk of Kylian Mbappe, but he came out at, after being Marseille, uh, Marseille last night and said that all of those are lies. Do you really need Kylian Mbappe in this squad? Because everyone just knows their roles. They know what to do. They come in, they do it, close shop. We're good. That's Real for you right now. Yeah. And Real, yeah. Do you really need Kylian Mbappe? This is Real Madrid. I mean, do you really need... I, I think when Real, <laughs> when, when Real miss Benzema, there is still that slight slight area. But the benefit of Carlo Ancelotti is that he's able to mold players. Now he's made Rodrigo a more effective centre forward. Someone is a little bit more stronger in holding up the ball. So Real have got the resources and they've come across as a team who doesn't feel the need to just go out and splurge like how Florentino Perez used to do. You look at the players that they've got in, Rudiger came on a free, Chumani came for a lot of money, but he came because Casimir and Casimiro was let go. So again, th- there's not much in that squad that you need to change, but whenever Benzema is out, there's just that slight, should we need a couple more goals in that squad? Yeah. Okay, well, that, uh, that brings us then to the end of this week's show. Uh, a Premier League week, a weekend with not a huge amount of uh, goals, but uh, a couple of good matches. And uh, so I'd like to thank our three pundits, Keshika Subaral. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And uh, we're going to find out, I'm going to look into this uh, emotional intelligence thing and see if we can uh, you know, slip it in under with these uh, pundits. And Sean Malhotra. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. See you all soon. A great return there. And Arvin Sidhu. Thanks, everyone. It's always good to be here. And uh, thank you also to today's producer, Daryl Ong. And uh, please join us next time for an episode of Just for Kicks here on BFM 89.9.